Welcome to the Revolution Podcast. Internet. Welcome to the Revolution Podcast. This is Matt Rawlings. I'm a pastor at Revolution Church, and I am here with Justin Clark, Dave Dunham, Ryan Rolfe. And we're doing this podcast in uh, Ryan's basement in Prison Town, Ohio. And, uh, <laughs> home of the lion skin rug. <laughs> home of the lion skin rug. <laughs> We're just going to let people guess exactly what that means in Prison I don't Town. Even know what that means. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> We are, the three of us, Ryan, Justin, and I are elders at Revolution Church, Church Plant, coming up on its fourth anniversary in August. Dave is an associate pastor. And we decided to do this podcast for a couple reasons. One, to give people kind of a feel for what Revolution Church is about, just in an hour-long discussion. And two, just because we want an excuse to basically drink and talk about theology, pop culture, and sports. So... Here Amen. we are. Now that we're all married, Justin, congratulations. Yes, Just recently wed back from his honeymoon, and so he will soon, soon learn that. I'm already slurring my words, and I'm taking like two sips. Um, or I will soon learn <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that yeah. it, as wonderful it is to be married, you got to have one of these nights every once in a while <laughs> in order to stay married. So This is my second one in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you're off. Well, he Very got, good. But he got uh, he got married and kids at the same time. So. That's right. He did. Two kids. Yep. Two steps. You manned up, man. Fine. Good for you. Man, oh, man. So anyway, we're going to talk just a few minutes about uh, the church that we planted, and hopefully for those of you beyond Portsmouth, Ohio, this won't be too boring just talking about this church in this small town. And for those of you, because I started a blog about five or six years ago, which I thought would be for people in my church community, but ended up being more for people outside the state. I get people from Tennessee and Texas for some reason that comment on my blog every day. Go figure that. So for those of you outside, Portsmouth is essentially a town with about like 10% 10% unemployment, 15% unemployment, something like that. An incredible drug problem. The only growing like industry we have are healthcare for the elderly and, and a college for the young, neither of which are going to tithe, so of course you plant a church there. And, uh, <laughs> that's, that's what we did. And so we did this about four years ago, and uh, you know, I originally thought that when we planted this church, because there seemed to be a need in this community for deeper teaching and a challenge to do social justice, I thought there'd be a bunch of 20 and 30-year-olds like myself and the people in the core group. We ended up with a bunch of 18 to 22-year-olds, you know, and um, a bunch of drug addicts. So that's where we ended up. And over the last four years looking at it, I have to say that uh, if you're out there thinking about planting a church, or if you're wondering if Revolution is one of those churches where you go and they think they've got everything together. We're just going to talk about, primarily tonight, about what we did wrong over the last um, uh, four years. And it, let me give this a little We can make tidbit. this really quick if we talk about what we did right. Yeah, exactly. That would take five minutes. <laughs> I like minutes. how you used the past tense, as if what we have now learned and are doing it right. <laughs> we have no choice at this point. We, we kind of know what we need to do. We just can't do it. So, you know. Fair enough. Um, 
but anyway, so over the last four years, I think it's fair to say that one of the things that we did wrong was we thought location would not matter. A mm. uh, little piece of advice, if you're trying to reach people who aren't going to church, if they walk into a worship service that looks like the set of Saw 4, there is, <laughs> there can be problems there. You know, they may not come back. They may leave before the music starts. I, 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 you know, that is something we've probably learned the hard way that you're not selling out to have an area where people actually feel safe yeah. in walking in. I, I, I disagree with that. Do you remember, this is like, I was not man enough to admit this. We had the, uh, the water that always ran where the kids was at in the yes. locker rooms. And like one day I just man up. I was like, Matt, does this give you the heebie-jeebies walking back here? And like, I didn't think you would. I was like, oh, fine, I'll admit it. And then you're like, yeah, it kind of reminds me of Carrie. <laughs> For those of you out there wondering what these guys are talking about, we actually started our church plant in an abandoned high school gymnasium. Um, and have now transitioned to Keyword the upscale. Keyword being abandoned, yes. Oh and have now transitioned to the upscale neighborhood of a vacated department store. <laughs> So vacated we, uh, for a good reason. To yeah. say that we've had <laughs> structural and facility-like challenges is an understatement. I and think. that's coming from an engineer, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that's that's right. right. So we, you know, don't I mean, tell just the code to, compliance department of the city. Oh <laughs> my gosh! I used to think that churches who spent a lot of money on buildings were just selling out. Now I just, I've got it. They, they just don't want to frighten people away. So I kind of, I kind of get that now. And or, I, or start every prayer with Jesus. Thank you for letting this building stay standing one more week. Exactly. Which we do. Oh my gosh. So anyway, that's, that would be, that would be, you know, we, this may become a weekly thing. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I'll take a second. I'm going to done the first. I'll take a second. Um, <laughs> And we'll, we'll talk about this at some at some future podcast. The 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 guff we've taken over mm-hmm. refusing to say that that drinking alcohol if you're over 21 and you don't get drunk is a sin. But anyway, so that's <laughs> that's my first piece of advice is that location does matter. Ryan, your second in seniority here. What would you say we have done wrong over the last four years? Uh, the, I think for me, especially the the biggest thing I've done wrong would. Uh, to understand, like, when you're pastoring people, you never kind of get the mediocre. Everyone's always either really high or really low, and it really taxes you, like, emotionally and mentally. So no one's like, just, hey, life's good. And then you ignore them anyway, because in the beginning, you're gung-ho, thinking you're going to change everybody. So you look for people with, like, oh, you know, well, I know you're not really okay. What's really going on? And uh, and so, like, that that ride you take with people on the really high and the really low parts is really taxing. Um, so I guess the one thing I... Th- I know for me, I did wrong was take that personally or take that ride with you, and then you end up either really, really high or in utter despair with them, and it kind of scars you up a little bit. Um, so I'm, to, to do it right, I think you got to remember why you're why you're on mission. Remind yourself, you know, who's called you to do this, um, and, and let God take care of the things that God's going to take care of, and not get so emotionally wrapped up that you you share the same scars and the same wounds as the people that you're pastoring. Yeah, because you, I mean, you were. 27 when we started and idealistic. Yes. And with and hair. You, with hair. And, and, and you poured your, you basically like poured your life, in, 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 especially into one guy. Yeah. And it kind of blew up. Now, the end, there's not an ending to that yet. You're still in True. communication. Yeah. yeah. May end, they, it may end well, but you had a really rough couple of years. That sure. Were yeah. not easy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It, I felt like I was carrying. 
his burden along with his 280 pounds across my back. <laughs> it was, I mean, look, I mean, this is, this is something that has a ministry. It's not, and this is something I see in ministry everywhere, which is if you just teach and preach right and you have the right kind of service, the rest will take care of itself. And that's not true. Absolutely not. Yeah, there there needs to be a, a huge BS statement like after that because that's not even close. <laughs> yeah. Well, and if you go into a thickness, and that's why you carry these burdens with these people, and you want to stay and walk beside them, and you're even quoting scripture, but it, it's at some point you have to back away and say, you know, God's in control, and I can't, you know, it doesn't do me any good to continue to, you know, when they're not listening, just spew all the scripture at them and try to walk through it with them. Sometimes, you know, God needs to take them somewhere where we can't go with them, and it's just them too. So. Yeah, because we've had, I mean, we even had a night, I, I will remember this night to the day I die, I don't get Alzheimer's, that um, me, <laughs> yeah, exactly, me, you, and Justin were sitting there with this person in question, we were confronting him about everything that was going on, and he sat there and nodded and it agreed with us and it still blew up, I mean, it wasn't... Yeah. And we love this guy. We spent all the spent time with him. Still we do. love this guy. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely still love this guy. And so it's not, you know, I, I guess at the end of the day, there's no method, right? Yeah, no. I mean, yeah, that was like contradictory. Yes, no, but yeah, I agree. There's yeah. there's wisdom. You can do things mm-hmm. good and you can do things badly, but even if you do things really well, it doesn't guarantee. Yeah, you give me a 12-step program about this and I'll laugh at you in the face. Yeah. So, I mean, because it's well, not going to work. There's a common, you know, in... in Theological circles and pastoral training—they they teach you right that you just preach the word, people right. will come, people will be changed, and that's not entirely true, right? I mean, we want to say absolutely preaching the word has a powerful impact on the lives of people, but to suggest that somehow just because you did what you were supposed to do, that people are going to respond appropriately is ridiculous. Well, our perspective and timelines is what this—I mean, oh, yeah, absolutely. eventually, like twenty years from now, sure that could be true, but we—I mean. Who's patient enough to wait twenty years for this well, person to change? Are, yeah. Well, let's be clear, ridiculous. and I think let's be clear because we're fortunate enough to witness life change. Sure, and folks Absolutely. who have come Absolutely. to know Absolutely. Jesus. True, yeah. and, and I think if if you know, I think you guys have pretty much covered everything we've done wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> Absolutely, um, but it, I think it can be summed up in what what Ryan's starting to talk about here with perspective, and, and I just think it's so important for us to realize and recognize that. You know, we can have the best vision or plan and, and have prepared, not that we did, um, very well for certain <laughs> things. <laughs> but we could have. <laughs> but even with those things um, kind of in your portfolio, you know, that doesn't mean that you're going to achieve the outcomes that you think you're entitled to achieve. Mm. And, and I think so much very of true. church planning is, is a battle because you're fighting your own um, sometimes unrealistic expectations because the reality is we, we don't see how preaching and teaching the word and being faithful that which I think is a strength of this church mm-hmm. which is just a, a faithful commitment mm-hmm. to teaching the truth of the scripture we don't always see the fruits of that but we have sure. to go faithfully forward and understand that you know God is orchestrating something so much bigger than we're able to see or even comprehend and, and yeah. I know that's kind sure. of pie, that sure. feels kind of pie in the sky but that's absolutely where you have to be as a church planner I think I think that's absolutely right. I mean, and, and we have had, I mean, I've had, to be fair, I mean, I've gotten Facebook messages from people who came to Revolution early on and then moved to Columbus or whatever, and they'll send me a Facebook message and say, hey, you remember that night you preached this, and Justin said this, and, 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 and Ryan did this song. I'm like, no, I don't remember that. You know, I have no idea. Sure, I have no memory of that whatsoever. And I'm like, that's really helped me through tough times and everything. And that's just how God works. 
and and you don't know that that's true. That's true. But anybody who thinks they're going into this and thinking, oh, I, I, you know, I preach like Matt Chandler and I got a worship leader, you know, that like makes, Ryan puts, and I sort of like Ryan Roth that puts <laughs> Dave Crowder to shame. Sure. Therefore, this this thing's going to blow up, and it, it you mm-hmm. know, the, the the third great awakening is going to happen right here. Yeah. Well, you may want to rethink that. But. Well, and I think if if your objective is is to accomplish something that makes much of anything other than Jesus. Um, then, then, you know, you're, you're going at it from the wrong angle to begin with. And, and I, I think all of us as folks who have been, particularly as elders and, and um, folks who have been a part of our core group since over four years ago, we started meeting in a living room. Yeah. Um, in your living room. In, in the living room that I was renting with, yeah. a, with a friend of mine, yeah. Um, I, I think we can all look back and think that, you know, the vision we had and where we've landed are, are drastically different places. Yes. But we have to accept the fact that maybe maybe we're a body of 150, 200 believers that's full of transient college students and folks who are in recovery, and we don't know the impact we're going to have in these lives, mm-hmm. lives of these folks as they pass through. Um, I, that's, a, that's a tough real, reality to kind of hold on to and find comfort in. It, is, it is kind of cool that, I mean, you know, for all of us that, and that um, the bartender, um, that, um, you know, we do have, we, we look at all the people who, the handful of people that we've had who want to go on to seminary, people like our, our buddy Ray who's going mm-hmm. on to do a PhD and wants to teach Greek and is a committed Christian. That's pretty cool. Absolutely. That Absolutely. is pretty cool. And, I, you know, you have to take this. But but let's face it, in, in, in the country when church success is defined by you have thousands of people, yep. they're Absolutely. showing up, they're giving Absolutely. lots of money and all that kind of stuff. And, and Justin, you're right. Jesus may, you know, God may have other plans, and that's if you're going to, are you going to be faithful and follow through, or, or here we not? have what we like to refer to as the pastor engineer conundrum. <laughs> Myself is the engineer trying to be practical. This sounds like a book. Go ahead. Well, this and, is and, and Matt, the pastor, trying to <laughs> yeah. tell me that my numbers and my analytical thinking just aren't how it works around here. <laughs> um, and so I think there's a healthy balance that you got to find. Yeah. You can't, and this is what. Um, as I prepared for this podcast, this is kind of what I was. I kept going over and over. Is you have to find the healthy balance between you know what really determines the success of a church or a church plant, and if it's just about empirical data, numbers that you can count, yeah. and things that you can measure, then you're gonna you're gonna fail. Um, I got a really be, I agree. I got a really good picture agree. of the kind of patience that I think especially our church plant needs to have. Um, I was at a um, a pastor's conference luncheon thing, and mm-hmm. all these guys were different, talking about their own, you know, success and the different kind of, um, you know, they've had this many people, you know, converted, and they've had this kind of, you know, money How many coming in. Do they pass out? Yeah, <laughs> and it was interesting, and, and and credit to those guys, I think they're doing good work and all right. that sort of thing. But what I realized was, especially at Revolution, I think we've got a particularly difficult challenge. I mean, I think seventy percent of our congregation probably comes on Sunday night to get out of recovery house for about an hour right. and uh, have a chance to kind yeah. of chill out. And um, and I'm glad they're coming. I'm Absolutely. so glad they're there. It's really an awesome opportunity to share the gospel, love them. But but it's it's really slow to see growth and change in, in a lot of those guys. I and mean, we've had some guys oh. come to faith in Christ out of those things, but um, it's going to be a slow process. I mean, sometimes you're just, you're just trying to get them to pay attention enough to hear the gospel. Yeah. So I think... I mean, I haven't been at this nearly as long as, as you guys have. I came in pretty late to the game, but I think the realization that um, there's an, a level of patience that has to go into church planning that's far above and beyond just normal church ministry. Yeah, I agree. And, and if you're going to do, yeah, I mean, 
I remember when I went to, we're, we're part of a church playing network, and I remember going to their different meetings and, and, and them all talking about, you know, uh, well, we've got to go out to the suburbs where people earn this much money and all this other kind of stuff. I'm like, how many churches are already out there? You know what I mean? And I mean, who, who's going after exactly the people in recovery, the people in rehab, all that kind of stuff, who can't tithe, who can't, you know, who's doing that? Um, I'm the only, you know, there are other churches doing it, but sure. we're the only ones I know of in this area that are, that are doing it. And it, but, and here's the thing, as little success as you see in the burbs, you see even smaller success here. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the batting average, I mean, look, Justin, Justin is to brag on, on, on Justin again. J- Justin was a coach for a, you know, uh, a high school team that won the state championship. You were just at Great American Ballpark mm-hmm. last, was it last Sunday, right? Go Tuesday Tuesday night. And, and oh, I'm sorry. And so you were there and you got on, and they honored you guys on the field. But I mean, you know, in baseball, if you fail seven out of ten times, you're an all-star. <laughs> where the kind of people we're going after, where we're going downtown, inner city, in a place with double-digit unemployment, a huge drug problem. You know, if you're failing nine out of ten times, you're an all-star. Well, and you know, not to get back to you know this analytical piece of this, but <laughs> but we are. But we're always we going. Yeah. Nine out of ten people relapse in recovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's that's a, that's a fairly common statistic in the community we live in, based on the type of substance abuse these folks are dealing with. They deal with a prescription um, pill addiction. Nine out of ten of those folks relapse. Right. Um, so you know, I I just can't. I can't make a compelling case for us why we shouldn't be discouraged if we don't have a better outcome um, in trying to reach the same folks. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so I, I just think there's... And we have. I mean, we can't... I mean, I'm not going to name names, but there's a guy who now works for the recovery program and started coming when he was in recovery. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now he's on fire for Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. We got another guy that's doing this that's the same way. I mean, he's not working for them, but he's the same way. came out of recovery, came to Christ, is trying to just plug along. He's got a family now. It's just trying to plug along and be faithful to the gospel. Yeah, you're right. Right. And to be to be fair, we've also got a couple young men who are behind bars who we mm-hmm. you know we invested in, and, and I, yeah, I sat through yeah. I sat through court and was on the phone with Matt, who's an attorney. Yeah. Um, if, if we haven't already mentioned that, yeah. and said, Matt, what can we do for this guy? And he goes, There's nothing. You know, he, he's got um, yep. got to pay his debt basically. And so, I mean, I just think these are these are these are the scars of of church planning. These are the things that you deal with, and you invest in folks. And um, like Matt said, the hit rates one out of ten. Yeah, especially if you go, you know, you go mm-hmm. into the inner city where no one else wants to go. Yeah. Well, in, right. in our area, I mean, we're what third in the nation, I think, in prescription drug abuse, yeah. which is pretty remarkable. To there be was a New York uh, Times article about the OD level in our hometown. And the, the there was an A and E special yeah, about I read you know, the OD. I read an article. I couldn't read it, but I saw there was an article yeah. in an Al Jazeera newspaper about Portsmouth in in two thousand and ten. Wow. Yeah. Um, there were um, enough. Oxycontin pills prescribed in Scioto County, Ohio, so that every resident would have had sixty-seven. Man, that's wow. that's the that's the battle that's that we're facing. Stunning! Here. Wow, that is stunning. And for those you don't know, I mean, I when I was a lawyer, much to my shame, I actually defended the company that made oxycontin. So let me. You know, this is how this is how God works. Irony and an irony. Um, as they said in the movie, the classic movie Airplane. Irony can be pretty ironic sometimes. I. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, oxycontin is essentially You're all singing the morphine. Song. I mean, you it's yeah, are. exactly, and it's essentially morphine, mm. and it's it, it was designed to give people who are coming out of surgeries mm-hmm. uh, time timed morphine. It would slowly release the same kind of 
morphine that you got, yeah. you know, if you the old click thing. Hospitals don't like it when you give people, you know, their own ability mm. to click morphine based upon their pain because they could OD. And so they came up with this pill that, that slowly over 24 hours would constantly release a certain amount of morphine. And somebody at some point, and who knows who did this, decide, you know, found out that if you mashed the thing up and snorted it, you could get all that morphine at one time. You know, and it's been a downward spiral in Appalachia ever since, and that's what we're dealing with. And for years, um, as libertarian as I am, I'm wearing a libertarian T-shirt, the one reason I'm not big on legalization of drugs is because we've seen what happens when drugs are legalized in this area because we had mm. pill mills that were completely legal for a long time where people were coming in and they were giving, you know, Oxycontin, one for 200 250 bucks you could get you know your oxycontin pay cash claim you have back pain walk That's out right. prescription and how did that end up for us mm-hmm. i mean it was terrible right i mean it's just so it, it, it's been a tough slog but you know we've been able to through god's grace a couple people come to faith in jesus christ despite all of that well can we talk about and, and i'm uh, maybe it's through to shift this conversation but i want to talk about some of the real joys of church planning too yeah and talk about things, how a community of folks who are broken and, and really, like we've talked about, just, you know, you know, sometimes you feel like you're banging your head against the wall teaching the gospel every week. And as anybody listening to my hearing it, have really embraced this idea of social justice. Yeah. And how serving their community in a way um, to tangibly represent the gospel um, and, and things like a, a ministry that helps feed the homeless and the food insecure in our yeah. community. Um, and a ministry where we provide... Um, a free market, a marketplace full of free stuff um, for folks in the homeless shelter and the recovery houses um, in our community. And, and just that's been a really encouraging thing to me to watch that alongside of spiritual growth and spiritual development. Yeah. And people really kind of recognize that there's a need to not only have uh, academic knowledge of the scripture, but to have a tangible application of it. I agree. And, I, you know, this has been something that, look, I have a, I have a love-hate relationship with with Glenn Beck, and he's kind of made among a number of evangelical Christians social justice dirty words. Sure. But, you know, you have these passages like Matthew 25, 31 through 46, where Jesus says, how you treat the poor is how you treat me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've taken that very seriously. As much as, any, as much as any passage of Scripture that's really guided the decisions that we've made. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And we've had guys like, and I'm just going to go ahead and, and mention them, you know, you know we have... Tom and Becky Gracial, who who run a ministry here in town, where Monday, Wednesday, Friday they provide a hot meal to anybody who wants one, you know. And then we have people like Tom Bennington and Kara Bennington who show up every Friday to help mm-hmm. serve those meals and and, and develop relationships yeah. with those people. You have a guy like Tom Bennington who you know is also an engineer and all that kind of stuff, and and he's a middle class guy, and yet he probably knows every homeless person in Portsmouth. By first name, absolutely, because he serves them food every Friday night, and they know him and they trust him. For two and a half years for two and a half years, and that you know that's awesome. That's an amazing thing. I'll brag on Justin; he he won't like this, but I mean, Sunday night we had a guy who was basically homeless for the night. He wanted to go to rehab. Um, he was going to rehab the next day, but he had no place to stay that Sunday night. And and Justin goes and puts him up in a hotel for that night. You know, and gives him some food and all that kind of stuff, so he can get to you know to rehab the next day. And I, I just happen to think that based upon Matthew twenty-five, that's one of those things where Jesus one day will look at Justin and go, "That's it, you know, mm-hmm. thank you." 
and you know, I, I the scales think of justice are very large. <laughs> things on both sides. Yeah, I mean, I just yeah, and so I don't get. I mean, this past weekend, to be fair, I mean, this past weekend, um, Glenn Beck held this thing in Dallas, Texas, where he fed like ten thousand people. Sure. Well, guess what, Glenn? That's social justice. You've made that <laughs> phrase, a, you know, a dirty word, a dirty phrase, but that's what you're doing. All right, so Justin, mistake that we've made. We've talked about a lot about you know what we've tried to do and what we've done right, but mistakes we've made. Um, mistakes we've made, at, you know, it's always okay to say we don't know, or I don't know, or right. not sure, and it's always okay to say, hold up, let's think about this again. And I think that, you know, I, you know, you you made a, a reference to coaching, and, and we always talk a lot in, in coaching about, you know. If, Athletically, if you're going to fail, fail aggressively. Well, we have definitely failed aggressively <laughs> in many aspects, and and I think you know I think um, that's probably not real sound advice in church planning. Um, you know, there, you know, all of us are very passionate and just had a real fervor for for the gospel and this community, and really just wanted to get off and running. And I think we made a wise decision in kind of when we started in the timeline based on trying to like mirror our schedule with the local university. Um, but to say that we were totally ready at that point, um, or even oh, probably no. close to ready, um, we probably, you know, hindsight's a, it's, 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 a, it's a great teacher, but, um, you know, waiting a whole year might have been a better option for us in hindsight. Amen. Um, but, <laughs> you know, there's a balance. There, there's a real balance between, you know, God's providence and, and you know, and exuberance and all these things and, and, and good planning and just trying to find out, you know, you'll never know if the decision, if the time exactly, is exactly right because you have to trust in God to do His thing right. in the process. But um, just looking back, if we would have kind of maybe just kind of slowed our trip into this, it might have we might have avoided some of the pitfalls. They're always going to be there. Yeah. Um, but I just think having folks around who can kind of check you, a check and balances that aren't necessarily involved with the day to day in the process. Yeah. Um, I know we had sought that out and. Um, you know, for lots of different reasons that were out of our control. That didn't exactly happen right, the way right, we right, right. Um, You know, I just think it's, you know, maybe the best way to put it, just find someone to hold you accountable who's not involved with your process. Someone that you trust to be a, a, just a, That's a, great advice. a man of the word and someone who's just really, who has wisdom and experience and, um, or a group of somebody's. I mean, a group Whether of part of your crowd or not. Yeah and, and, yeah, and preferably probably not part of your direct and not directly involved with the planning and the launch and things like that because those folks are just their advice and their wisdom and their ability to look at it from a different perspective I think is going to be invaluable to mm -hmm. you and um, you know I wouldn't do it differently because of the relationships we've developed and and, and some of the things that happened in that right. first year um, yep. somebody is eventually going to tell a story about the heat not working I won't tell that one um, <laughs> in, in the abandoned gymnasium but I mean if you uh, if you ever needed hope that we were doing the right thing, I think that night um, was was a sign to me that, you know, even though we had made this decision oh. and stepped out on a limb and it felt really shaky sometimes, it was clear that God was doing a work in the hearts wow. of some folks. Mm -hmm. um, was that not the best worst night ever? <laughs> I mean, at the time it was terrible. This and is a tangent. Ready to happen right here. And reflecting back, it sure. was awesome. How much we you were, tell them how much time we're talking about? Okay, we were... 
um, meeting at that time in, as Justin said earlier, an abandoned high school gym, and it abandoned for a good reason. There is no real heat in this place. There is no consistent air conditioning. And we're meeting in one of the most humid places on the face of the earth, the Ohio River Valley. And so we're meeting in this high school gym, and yet consistently 80 to 100 people, sometimes more. I mean, one night we had a concert with 2010 Angel. We had like probably 200 people there. And we're meeting in this gym. And one night, it is probably 20 degrees in in there. It's below freezing. The heat is not working. Mm -mm. And there were literally people, instead of leaving, Instead of leaving, they were pulling up their hoodies, pulling the strings on their hoodie to where they looked exactly, exactly like Kenny <laughs> from Cartman. And I am, you know, Justin is doing the announcements. I'm doing the preaching. Ryan is leading the worship. And we're looking out at a group of Kennys, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, we literally had, like... A gas heater that we had set, somebody had brought in in the middle, and people are all huddled around this thing. But they don't leave. They list, mm. They pray. They, they pray with Justin. They listen to the sermon. They worship when Ryan is leading. They mm. don't leave. We've got like eighty or ninety people in like thirty degree. You know, at <laughs> thirty degree. I'm being I'm being generous at this point. Thirty degrees in there, and they're staying. And so at the one Their hand, you're like, this is, in- exactly. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is exactly, there's like, this is, God bless them. This is embarrassing on the one point, and the other point, this is like, this is amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. That's, that's the night, you know, we were, we were roughly five or six months into this church plant, and that's just the night for me that solidified, like, that this is the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of, of what kind of ups and downs we were going to face that, and regardless of personal differences. Um, yeah. We could have a whole podcast about, you know, you have to be willing to agree to disagree. Um, yeah. Regardless of We what, will do that podcast at one point. Whether, <laughs> if, I, if five people listen to this podcast, we will do that at some point. Yeah. And um, I, that was just the night for me that I said, you know what, Lord, I, I this is yours. And yeah. wherever you take us, I'm, I'm committed to this. Mm-hmm. And um, that, that's I mean, that's just hypothermia. I said it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that, yeah, that's an amazing night. Okay, so Dave is... Dave actually was there at the beginning of Revolution, but for reasons he had to um, uh, move off and, and work at another church. And then he came back, and over the last years worked in his associate pastor. You know, he, he's he's preached, but his primary responsibility has been meeting with people one on one to be kind of a discipleship pastor, challenge them to grow and so forth. All right, so Dave, especially over what you've seen the last year, you were there at the beginning, and then you've been over there yeah. the last year. Mistakes. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that I can speak with as much clearly. I can't speak with as much clarity and specificity as you guys have. Um, I can speak about. I can speak about from my own perspective. You know, we were part of the church that was trying to help start revolution, um, and and then and then I I could see my role segueing easily into what revolution was mm-hmm. doing. Um, and so I think part of what, I, from my perspective, you know, we had people who were really hostile to the idea of what revolution was about. And I think if I if I can talk about mistakes, I want to talk about maybe my mistakes specifically. Go for it. And think about okay, what I saw was a, a group of people who were, um, you know, the church I was working at who loved Jesus and loved the Bible, but for whatever reason could not see the importance of caring for the least of these. Yeah. 
Um, you know, as, as, as the And the you say that, is. why Ryan is jingling the ice in his scotch. <laughs> right, which would have <laughs> appalled me. Um, <laughs> it's a little warm down here. I was thirsty, okay? Sorry. I apologize. Uh, you know, and so we, we, we were trying to convince them that this was an important ministry, that, that the goal was to mm-hmm. reach a people who nobody else was reaching with right. the gospel. Right, and And... And for all their credit, they have some wonderful things, and they love Jesus, and, and they're, they're doing, you know, they, they were doing well in all sorts of areas. But for whatever reason, that was something they just could not see. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I think when I think about my mistake, I look back and think, you know, I should have recognized at that time, this isn't a, a tertiary issue. This isn't a option. Dave, yeah. consider our audience. You've used a lot of big words. <laughs> Sorry. I'm gonna have to pull Dave's out, like, an English professor ah, as well. Exactly. So yeah, exactly. His sentences are properly punctuated, <laughs> even when spoken. Oh, that is to gosh. say, for the common man, Dave, how would that? This wasn't be? something you could take or leave. They weren't Thank concerned you. about the poor. They no, weren't concerned and, about the and, drug addicts. And I wanted were, to. I wanted. And to, let me say, there was a time where you actually, and I'll let you, got a quote yeah. where they said that our church was filled with too many druggies. Yeah, absolutely. This was just this last year. We got right. a, we got somebody who said, you know, we love what you're doing down there. We just think it's a church filled with too many druggies, um, and that and that was kind of the the sentiment was. I think it's a nice idea, but I think that it's going to involve too many sinners. And I thought church involving too many sinners doesn't make sense to me. Um, and wow. and I want to I want to be gracious. I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Thank sure, you. but. From my perspective, what I what I should have said, no, this isn't an option. This isn't something you can take or leave. This is right. something that the Bible as a whole and the Gospels in particular right. really drive us to. It, Old and New Testaments, absolutely. No, absolutely yeah. That the Bible as a whole says that that caring for the least, caring for the poor, caring for the needy, caring for the the disenfranchised and the oppressed, and all of those. Caring for them is not an option. That the way we care for them is part of our responsibility to. It's part of our response to God. Yeah. Part of our response to Jesus. Right. Jesus says, "What you do to the least of these is what you do to me." And I, I think at the time, because I wanted to spare that church any heartache and any um, grief and any sorrow, I let let that go. And I said, "Okay, well, we'll step back. We won't be part of this." And in retrospect, I should have never done that. I should have said. I should have said, no, this isn't an option. This is what we have to do if we're going to be faithful to the Bible. And I'm really appreciative that this conversation has unfolded in the, the sequence that it has because I don't want somebody to take this soundbite and just run with it. Sure. Um, just so we're clear, we make a lot of mistakes. Absolutely. And this is not about trying to say we've got something figured out. We've made more mistakes than we've done things right. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And so, and and so, the, this the, the the goal here is just to share with folks who have a desire to possibly plant a church or to do ministry in this type of a setting, um, some of the struggles we've had, some of the joys that God has afforded us, and not to point fingers at, at, at sure. local congregations sure, and, and say no, we've no. got this figured out and you don't. Um, I'm, I, you know, I, I I'm really excited this unfolded the way it did because I yeah. think. No, otherwise that snippet, but just run with it. And well, I think and there are say, people who, in, in these larger congregations around us, even who have largely criticized us. There are people in those congregations who have, God bless you guys. We're praying for you guys. Absolutely, absolutely. You guys. absolutely. There are absolutely. those. There are those people. Well, well, just, a guy from this previous church wrote us a thousand dollar check because he believed yeah, in absolutely. what we were doing. So, I mean, this is this is a good thing. And and I, I, I want to say. 
you know, if, the, if, if you're out there and you're thinking about planning a church in a setting like this, um, you can't take ministry to the least of these as some kind of optional thing. That's right. And I have a buddy who's a, a church planner right. in Columbus. In any setting. Absolutely. Any yeah, setting. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. I have a buddy who's a, who's a pastor in Columbus, and uh, they got a notice from the um, city that said they had too many homeless people hanging outside of their building on Sunday nights. <laughs> awesome. Can we say their name that. on the podcast? Because I just want people to know who they uh, are. Veritas sorry, Church in Columbus. Yeah, awesome. Absolutely. Um, Please, Nick if you're Nine. in Columbus, Ohio, check out Veritas Church. Yeah, if you're near them, write a check to them. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So, so, but, he, but what was great was you know their pastor, their guy, uh, guy Nick Nye, who who said, uh, wait, who said, wait, Bill Nye, yeah. the science guy. <laughs> <laughs> I bet Maybe. he's never gotten. <laughs> Nick said, what a great problem to have. Too many homeless people hanging around your church. Because the problem is is that there are far too many churches who don't know how to, and because they don't know how to reach those people, don't even risk it. And, uh, And so I think that's a big deal is, you know, we're not saying we know how to do that. But we're saying we were willing to risk it. And there are, look, and we've had this conversation just in the last couple weeks, and and we just killed a bottle of $250 scotch. Which um, (laughs) really speaks to meeting the needs of the least of these. Exactly. It's crossed my mind the whole time. I want to say that 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 bottle was bought in in celebration of my 40th birthday with her, which I really appreciate. Six years ago. uh, Yes. (laughs) It is not a weekly thing for us. That's what I look like, as it was six years ago, but it was. I appreciate that. Um, but, you know, look, and, and the, here's what's funny, is, you know, God called a guy um, that went from Hollywood to Washington, D.C. I got involved in politics at age 19 after I fled Hollywood. And politics is just Hollywood for ugly people. And, you know, I just, um, I, got, I got involved in politics, and I worked for... Um, you know, the most conservative congressman on Capitol Hill. And I, then I worked for another, helped elect and worked for another conservative congressman. I was a libertarian. And no, Luber, heck, I thought Newt was a moderate. Are you kidding me? And uh, though the funniest story I ever had, the first week I worked on Capitol Hill, this is January of 1995. Okay. So I am, uh, there were. There I were, was in the fifth grade, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for that comment. Jerk. So anyway, I was. Um, um, <laughs> I am. I am nine years elder of anyone here, and at least twenty years in maturity. So anyway, I was. Um, oh, wow. I, I I was working on Capitol Hill as a congressional aide when I'm 23 years old. I'm 22 actually because I hadn't turned 20, 23. I'm working on Capitol Hill, and every legislative aide is given the role of accompanying the congressman on his evening walk through all the different fundraisers that go on in Washington, D.C. And so I go to visit the congressman that I'm working for in January of 1995. He's not there. He's not at the room that I'm supposed to be you know, picking him up at and escorting him. He's not in any adjacent rooms. He's not on the floor. He's not on the reception room behind the floor. He's nowhere to be found. I am literally at this point jogging. The, the and you have to understand. Is that with a soft J? 
Yes, Yogging. exactly. Yogging. Yogging like Anchorman because I am, at that point, I, I, I drink two pots of coffee a day. I smoke a pack of cigarettes a day. So the only exercise I get is coughing. And at this point, <laughs> I, am, I am jogging through the U.S. House of Representatives trying to find my congressman. And I turn a corner and I run directly into Newt Gingrich, which is pretty much like running into a, in, into a nose guard of a high school football team. Right? I mean, I hit his belly, okay? Like Wolverine hits, you know, that guy and, I mean, just bounces, you know, off of him. And I fall flat on my, on my back. And he's like, who are you looking for? And I told him the name of my congressman. He's like, oh, he's just sort of laughing, you know, because at that point, the second congressman I worked for, God bless him, he was a joke. And so, you know, he, he, he sends me off. So, Newt Gingrich, that was the first time I met Newt Gingrich, was literally running into him. Just, just plowing into him and then bouncing back my 180 pounds onto the floor. If you're listening out there, I apologize for giving us on this tangent. Yes. Uh, are you kidding me? This is gold. Are you kidding me? <laughs> this is gold. And so, how many other podcasts talk about literally running into Newt Gingrich in the floors of Congress? Point made. So, how many um, that are listened to, or how many that are actually published? Second on point made. So anyway, I. Does Rick Perry have an angry podcast? Yeah, I'm sure he does. And so, anyway, that being said, as conservative as I am, um, because I've become even probably more conservative since then, the Bible is very clear. How you treat the poor is how you treat Jesus himself. Absolutely. Matthew 25, 31 through 46 was uh, a passage of scripture that I ran across when I was in seminary that kept me up at nights because I realized how you know terribly I treat people that didn't look like me, didn't dress like me, didn't, you know. And I think revolution has tried to do a very good job of that, and I would encourage every church plan out there to just try to do that. And it's not that we're trying to earn our salvation no. through how you treat the poor. That's opposite. not what, exactly. That is not what we're saying. I understand when people like Glenn Beck on the right sit there and scream about social justice, that there are people out there screaming that how you know how you treat the poor is is you know directly correlative to how you get into heaven. That's not true. But I do believe that anybody who sees that Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for all their sins on the cross, who has lived a perfect life to grant that life to them, that their only appropriate response is in thanks, and in the way Jesus has said, this is how you thank me, is you go out and you seek the least among you and you help them. Well, I mean, I don't think anybody would argue that if, if as, as a whole, we as Christians would take our responsibilities to widows and orphans more seriously, that we would be a, a whole, more credible to, mm-hmm. to, to a, a world mm-hmm. that's lost. I mean, yeah. and you know, and I'm not trying to open uh, Pandora's box uh, Chick fil A bag here. Um, <laughs> Which I ate it yesterday proudly. Go ahead. Um, and now I'm going to make you, I'm gonna, we're going to have an argument. Um, but somebody made the comment to me that if, if every Christian who decided to stand up for free speech decided to stand up for the homeless and the poor. Yeah. If they did that instead, how mm-hmm. much more powerful would that be than getting an alliance Chick Fil A? Yeah, um, and so we're not. I I mean, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure I mean, how you do that, but okay. Yeah, we're um, not. We're not getting into the Chick Fil A discussion. I'm not sure what homeless stand you get in. You know, you get in line for. But anyway, I, that exactly. being said, I agree with that, and I just think Christians as a whole are doing a disservice to the gospel by making it about solely about doctrine and not about doctrine and action. 
Agreed. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And, and, so, and, and I just think as, as, a, as a church and as a leadership team, you know, if I can commend us on, you know, that's one of the two things or three things that I would just say, you know, we've embraced. Um, could we do better? Absolutely. But sure. are we committed to it? Absolutely. And do you have good doctrine if you don't produce that kind of action? No. No. Absolutely not. I, I want to, not to play the theology mm-hmm. card, but I love the way John Frame, uh, who's a Presbyterian theologian, defines theology, where he says, theology is the application of the Word of God to life. Yeah. If you can't apply it, you haven't actually done theology. Right. You can have all sorts of academic conversations. You can have all sorts of doctrinal right. discussions. But right. if there's nothing at the end of the day you can do... You're just do, a PhD student. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly right. That's right. Now we can hashtag Presbyterian. <laughs> Which is, you know, look, I, in all honesty, um, the seminary I went to, and the only reason I went to that seminary is because they gave me a full scholarship. Otherwise, I'd never <laughs> gone to that seminary. Um, but the reason I went to, because I never heard of it. The reason I went to that seminary, but, you know, I go to the cemetery. That feels warm and fuzzy was, about your preaching was, right now. That was, you were educated by That son. was more than a Freudian slip of that cemetery. <laughs> because... People have asked me about going to the seminary I went to. I said, stay away. Stay far away. Um, you know, and so I've treated it like a Stephen King novel. Um, because, I mean, look, I went and I studied under people who did PhDs at Harvard and Oxford and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Bright guys. And... They're terrible. I mean, what, I mean, they're awful. What they're producing is that the people I went to seminary with are out there, you know, celebrating diversity. They're celebrating, you know, we need to do this and that. But they're not actually winning people for Jesus, and they're not actually being with the poor either. Mm. They're not doing either one of those things. And so I'm looking at the product of the seminary I went with, and I'm like, what was that worth? Right? What is three years of of reading you know, a thousand pages of, of scholastic text per t- per class worth if it doesn't produce anything that helps people? Yeah, I, sure. I I don't see the point, which is yeah. one of the reasons why we launched the free seminary revolution, which is yeah, another conversation. Yeah, I got a I got a freebie to throw yep. in that was the realization that I had with my dad, who I think just enjoys like a, a lab experiment, watching us do what we're doing, and then <laughs> telling them about it. I think um, you're right. Yeah. It, yeah. Knowing so, your dad, yeah. And, and then, like, we get to the point, so for those uh, of you, just as a, this, this should be obvious to you, but you're so full of hopes and dreams, and that this is not. But there's a reason why no other churches reach, like, the homeless <laughs> in the college. That's because there's no money there. Yeah, and it true. takes money to operate a church, and that's no one true. likes to say that. I mean, it's like, absolutely. like it's a dirty word, true. but it's absolutely... Yeah. I mean, if, if you can't pay the rent, you know, or you can't... Right. It just takes money. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it doesn't take a large amount of money, but it takes some capital. Right. If you can't tell, Ryan's a purchasing manager. Well, yeah. <laughs> well I love the way Justin said it a few few weeks ago, Rev, where he said, we run on a shoestring budget, but shoestring still costs money. <laughs> this, this is true. I've actually worked for a shoestring manufacturer yeah. before, so I can attest to But, uh, so keep that in mind. I mean, when you're going after this, you know, that, that that's... Mm-hmm. I, I think, yeah, well, the idea is that no one wants to talk about money like it's a dirty word, and that makes you part of a big church. But in, in reality, you can have all these hope and dreams that God's going to do what God's going to do, and He will, and He will provide. He's provided for us. But you've got to be able to, to rationalize and sit down and make this plan work for you. If you can't make it work out on paper. Well, we've had to rework our budget constantly. I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think we all have personal experiences where we can share frustrations and without naming names, and we won't, um, with folks who... who 
approach running a church like running a business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, sure. And, yeah. and ultimately, I think it's been incredibly painful for us as individuals to admit that there's at least some level of truth to where those folks were coming from. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's the challenging side, and, and I, I visited a church who started as a plant in Louisville, Kentucky, um, probably 10 or 15 years ago, and, and the way the pastor explained there, and they now have multiple campuses and do some really awesome things there. It's Sojourn they Church. I know you're talking about, um, yeah. And the pastor church. made the analogy that church planting is like sausage, and if you love sausage, you love it, and you, you want it for breakfast and all that stuff, but if you know how sausage is made... You don't want to eat it anymore. Right. And church planning is kind of the same way. I mean, if you're involved in the back yeah. end of making it happen, mm, it's yeah. really easy to get bitter right. and just mm-hmm. really burnt out um, with the idea of, of doing church right. um, from a, from a logistic logistical perspective. And so, just you know, if there's any encouragement out there, um, you know, mm-hmm. surround yourself with folks that Absolutely. can that can kind of carry each other's burdens. I mean, there's been Absolutely. there's been a time in our in our our brief existence where you know, we've cut, Dave has filled the pulpit. Ron and I have filled the pulpit um, mm-hmm. very poorly. Um, Ron Amen. and I have. Amen. Dave does a great job. Ron, no. on the other hand, not so all much. All three of you have done a great job. For <laughs> Matt, when he, you know, because he, he's bivocational, we're all bivocational. He's, you know, he's working his day job. He's being a husband. He's being a dad. And, and just the sheer mm-hmm. responsibilities and just the mechanics of doing church become overwhelming. And so just surround yourself with folks as you get into this yeah. Who, yeah. Who, can, who, who can do different things and, and understand that it, it Ultimately, it's not about a product that you're putting on stage, um, mm-hmm. because God's going to work through whoever's up there, and um, I think mm-hmm. that's really been a, a. It was a challenge for us in the beginning. I think, you know, we've learned individually to let go of responsibilities that we kind of have taken ownership of at times when mm-hmm. we have so much going on, and the other person someone has stepped up and kind of carried that. And so, I think that's really invaluable too as we kind of absolutely as you get into this. Absolutely, and I just look, you know, to wrap this up and, and to move on, we look. We've made all kinds of mistakes. Uh, we're going to make all kinds of mistakes in the future. Um, but, you know, I, I had a meeting this week that really kind of encouraged my spirit because I met with a pastor from a very large church in, in our town. And he basically said the same thing, which was like, you know, look, if you're not discipling people, mm-hmm. if they can't define the gospel and put that into action, you're just putting on a show. You're not, you're not doing anything else. Mm-hmm. And according to the book of James, which I heard Dave bring up today in the discipling session, if you're not, look, you're going to be held accountable for that mm-hmm. to a higher standard than anybody else. Mm-hmm. And, and this is serious stuff, and you've got to take it seriously. And yeah, obviously we have a sense of humor. Um, <laughs> three of the four of us here find Will Ferrell funny. <laughs> the one who laughs the loudest doesn't exactly and you know but and, but enough the, said enough said but at the end of the day you know it's about preaching the gospel challenging people to live out the gospel and if you're not doing that you're putting on a show and you're doing nothing mm. else and yes you've got to pay the bills and that means you've got to reach people, everybody. You can't just focus on the person in rehab. You can't just focus on the people on the street. You do have to reach out to the people with a job and, 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 and make them realize that how they spend their money matters. But, just to tie that, you've got to be true to who you are. And yes. And you feel God's called you to be as a church. And, Very um, true. And, and you can't pretend to be somebody you're not um, with with the end result being trying to attract folks who can find support your mission. Absolutely. And and yet, four years later, have we paid every bill? 
Absolutely. Every single one. Yeah. Everyone. And, you know, despite the fact that our crowd has very little money. So mm -hmm. it's been, God has been very good to us. And, and one of the things we've had at, at Revolution, one of the kind of values we've had, is that the culture around us is not necessarily bad. Um, there may be bad things in our culture, mm -hmm. um, but the culture, you know, pop culture at large, is not necessarily bad. We, in wait, fact, we have a growing hipster population. I don't know how I feel about that. That is true. <laughs> that, that is true. Okay, I, I, I will miss Concession that. made. Yes. <laughs> Yes, people who can only play three chords on an acoustic oh, guitar oh do not constitute great culture. But anyway, um, that being said, you know that um, we have always maintained that um, the only culture you should avoid is the culture that leads you to sin. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So if you know if you cannot watch old school, you know because it leads you exactly because it leads you to lust, then don't watch it. But if you can watch it and just laugh. That's fine. And, and, you know, we have encouraged people to say, you know, everybody likes these kind of real hard and fast rules mm -hmm. that you either, you don't watch anything but, you know, movies with Kirk Cameron or, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> that actually just, makes me want to sin. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Kirk Cameron movies make you want to sin. That's another podcast. But anyway, <laughs> we, will, we will deal with that. But, you know, it, it, it is about just identifying where you weak Avoiding that and everything else, if it makes you laugh or it makes you happy, who cares? You know, if Paul said anything good and right is things you could should consider. Absolutely. So, that being said, one of the things we have instituted at Revolution Church is a thing called Cinemagogue. Right. Where we go and watch movies, and Dave and I both blog on them, and we talk about them, and we say, you know, what's, what's good about this movie, what's bad about this movie... And we, and we talk about all of this, and all four of us here have done that, you know, and we've seen a number of movies together. Um, we'll see more in, in the future during the summer season. There's a Bourne movie coming out, by the way. There is a Bourne movie, movie coming out, that's right. And a Will Ferrell, Zach Galifianakis movie coming out. That campaign. Funny, the campaign. I will give you credit on that. That looks funny. That does look Dave funny. Dave himself as the anti-Will Ferrell man. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll probably, uh, you know, on August 10th, go see the campaign, you know, and, and, and talk about it. And and, and two out. of the movies Did we you just have seen. You just plugged that with a date, by the way. We get revenues from Will Ferrell that we don't know about. It's on my Outlook Express. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Absolutely. You plugged that you with a date. Ferrell and Galifianakis together, and Galifianakis doing Seth Galifianakis <laughs> as a congressional candidate. You're telling me that's not on your Outlook Express? Shame on you if it's not. Hey, it's all mine. We are Galifianakis fans. Exactly. Not really. And so, you know... Dave's the odd one. Sorry. Odd, Sorry. Dave, for, for those who are listening, Dave does not think that Anchorman is funny. Oh. So um, so if you see him walking down the street, throw a rock at him. Um, <laughs> Send your hate mail to Pastor Dave. Six exactly. I was disappointed that exactly. 31 of my friends like that movie. Oh, my word. Are you kidding me? Wait, Everyone likes that movie. <laughs> no, all right, now. Sorry. All right. I just this podcast is myself, and this is expensive scotch. Now, I mean, I, for for Sketchy, the person to my right and left who have good taste, <laughs> me. is there any better cameo than Will Ferrell in Wedding Crashers? Mom, the meatloaf! <laughs> exactly! Exactly! Oh, is there any better cameo? Oh, that was... That was no. Can you think of one off the top oh, of your head? God. You cannot. Oh, it's fantastic. Oh. Absolutely fantastic. Right. Will Ferrell Jabbar kills Jabbar Airplane? Hmm? Can I Jabbar Airplane? That is very good. <laughs> 
All right, that's very good. I don't think it's quite there, but it's good. Also, not culturally relevant for the last twenty years. Yes. <laughs> Airplane that is, that means is half always culturally relevant. No Airplane is amazing. About. All right, so as a group, we have seen the two biggest comic book movies of the years: mm. the, the the Avengers, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And Dark Knight Rises. We actually, as a group, went to see Dark Knight Rises at midnight, mm-hmm. absolutely oblivious to the horror that was going on absolutely. in Colorado. Yeah. But we went and, and we watched that movie. And so, what I want to talk about now is, as we close out, which is better, The Avengers or Dark Knight Rises? Now, here is why I think The Avengers is slightly better. I love both. I loved both. I thought there were more plot holes in The Dark Knight Rises. I do not understand the whole thing where Bruce Wayne, spoiler alert, by the way, if you haven't seen The Dark Knight Rises, <laughs> if you're one of the three people in America say, that have not seen The Dark Knight Rises, you've already seen The Dark exactly. Knight Rises. A mark. If you, exactly. If you, I mean, uh, where Bruce Wayne somehow gets to the Middle East in a prison and back to Gotham in an hour... I mean, that's a bit of a plot hole there. And the fact that Bane, in the movie, when he is first revealed to be the guy who releases Rajah Gul's daughter, he looks 25, and then 20 years later looks 30. You know, despite the fact that that's a plot hole. And, you know, I, I think the the writing in The Avengers kills it for me. The writing in The Avengers, Joss Whedon's, you know, writing in The Avengers is amazing. The dialogue is amazing. Little things he does. Like when the Hulk interrupts Loki and just starts slamming him into the ground. <laughs> that was great. Is fantastic. Was I just think things like that. And then... The, the thing that my son and none of his cousins, who I took a couple weeks later, to, got. The fact that they end the movie after the credits with all of the Avengers <laughs> eating, right, Middle Eastern food all together, not saying a word, just sitting there eating. You know, I thought that was absolutely incredible, and that's why I think it's better than The Dark Knight Rises, though I love The Dark Knight Rises. Ryan? Right, I'm going the same direction. Um... For the, much different reasons. Well, A and B, yeah. The dialogue, the wittiness. Um, there's the, the comedy, which, again, I don't think the Avengers touches near on the, the social aspect. Right. The Dark Knight Rises does. Um, but I'm, I'll just say this. I, Anne Hathaway as Catwoman, it was just okay, <laughs> but not great. It, it, it's, it is the biggest movie. Right. Like, the summer blockbuster. Of and, the last five years. And, yeah. and Princess Diaries as yeah. Catwoman. Seriously, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. I, I mean, oh, I, I agree with that. I, it, and it, I thought she did a decent well, job. Yeah, I wasn't but, that she's bad. But the yeah. problem is, there's no tension between. Wait. You know, it is. I mean, you know, she, there's just no tension there for her. It, it's right. it's yeah, too goody two shoes. Yeah, if you're a Batman comic book fan, there's not enough tension between Catwoman and Batman to right. To really yeah, and there's connect. not. There's just yeah. nothing that Absolutely. grows. It's like, it's just like I, I don't know. I, I'll agree with that. It didn't work for me. Um so, Might Scarlett Johansson work for you? <laughs> Silence is an admission of guilt, my friends. <laughs> I am a happily married man, okay? That's what I'm saying. That being said. That being said. <laughs> Anne Hathaway, I, I don't know. That uh, doesn't compete with Scarlett Johansson, is what you're saying. Can I, can I ask you a question, Ryan? Yes, I'll, I'll take answers from, from the audience in the back. If the roles were flipped, 
Oh, Scarlett Johansson an awesome Catwoman, period. So Absolutely. ultimately, yeah. Scarlett Johansson swings Ryan's decision. Well, <laughs> no, but there's a list of people. Kate Beckinsale would have been an awesome Catwoman, too. <laughs> I agree. I agree with that. Credit Eric Kimsey for bringing that one up to me. Uh, he while did. working I hard agree. at KSA. I, um, I agree with that. So, I, I don't know. That one... And the dial... The dial now, I will, the Dark Knight Rises, they do a... When they said it was going to be Bane, whatever, two years ago, oh, mm-hmm. I just remember Bane with uh, Poison Ivy back in the day. Oh, yeah. Oh, and that was horrible. horrible. George Clooney. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's you're just right. you're like a big muscle thug. Is yeah. there anything else in your so, life you'd rather like mentally delete more? Oh, 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 oh that was horrible. Yeah. That was a terrible movie. I had, I had a great person. I think it was David Dowdy who pointed this out, that is there anybody worse to play Batman than George Clooney other than Jay Leno? <laughs> <laughs> Because the chin alone gives it away. Uh, yeah. Oh, you're Bruce Wayne. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, 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 well time out there. What about, the, what about Christian Bale's Batman voice? Uh, That's horrible. It is. That the, basically, the only thing that separates him is he tries to do that gravelly voice. Yeah. So yeah. who's, who's which the perfect sounds person like to play a gravelly Batman? voice? Well, I, I can get. Not I can Val live Kilmer, with. I'll I can live with now. Christian Bale as Batman. Yeah, but, but in a perfect world, if you got to pick who could play Batman, no, nobody. Mm, I don't know. That's tough. That's yeah. tough. It is tough. Michael well, Keaton didn't do that great either. I mean, no. I love that. I love that film just for nostalgic reasons, perhaps. But yeah, Michael Keaton as the comedian. Which brings up the thing, and I want to segue into into Justin's comments. But I mean, here is the thing about: Has there been a Batman as good as a villain? It's always remembered by the yeah. villain. Well, Heath Ledger was far better. And than that's that's the point I'm coming to. But yeah. that being said. Justin, Avengers, or Dark Knight Rises? I think, okay, I'm, I'm actually going to be, I have a minority opinion here. And I think you guys are failing to acknowledge that in this case, um, Not the, minority. the whole is greater than the sum of the parts it, with the Batman series. Okay. And the Batman series tells a story. And this is true. And Christopher Nolan, brilliantly, true. probably the best filmmaker of our generation. Agree with that. Um, just weaves kind of this story through the Batman trilogy that he did here. Uh, Batman Begins, Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises. Okay. And I think that taken on... Now, I know you didn't ask me to look at those three movies versus the Avengers series of movies, but right. it's hard for me to compartmentalize either okay. one. Um, and, and so for that reason, and I just think the sheer scale of the cinematography in The Dark Knight okay, Rises... that's a very um, good point. Christopher Nolan just... I think he took, he took comic book better? movies... No. Absolutely yeah. not. I mean, he's made. I think we decided. I think we read eleven movies in the last fifteen years or something, and only one of them has been marginally right. good. The rest have been above average or great. Right. Um, There's Insomnia, have, which is okay, and yeah, everything else. If you is haven't amazing. seen yeah. like Memento, go back and see some of those incredible. Incredible. stuff. Just incredible. Incredible. Um, yeah. I'm not even going to say Inception because Dave will have a moment over here by himself <laughs> on the couch. Um, <laughs> Brilliant. That's my couch. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, so for me, it's Inception's really brilliant. hard. It's really hard to take the Dark Knight Rises apart from the series and the Avengers too. Um, and and I like all of the Avengers movies. Yep. And they're, they're, the dialogue is be- is better written. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. It, the story, especially in the movie, the Avengers. Um, but the prequels aren't close to Avengers. So like no. Thor and the leading up to it, no. Avengers but is by this, far. Captain this, America was terrible. I thought. Uh, I actually liked Captain uh, America, uh, but. I, I, I the only the only lead up to I to the Avengers I thought was terrible were the Hulk movies. Oh which yeah, which were awful. Agreed. And Iron Absolutely. Man two. Which was awful. Awful. So let me ask Which one of the Batman good. movies wasn't good? None. None. Okay. okay, so that's so, so because okay. of that, that's a good it's point. very hard to look at the Dark Knight Rises and not see it as the culmination of this trilogy. 
Very good point. And the but Avengers, just, now, now the point. Avengers has now the Avengers incredible dialogue. Um, yep. The story moves quicker earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's much easier to become engaged as as someone watching the movie in the theater yep. with the Avengers, um, and, and that's in part because there are so many different characters that it's you know that one person doesn't have to really carry the movie. Yeah, um, good point. I thought yeah, a good point. Um, the Dark Knight Rises suffers only because Heath Ledger was so incredible. In, in, in the Dark Knight, it is hard. And, to and, and really, oh I, I don't think it was going to matter. I really enjoyed Bane. It'd be quite honest. Um, I, I, I did too, but I, I, I just think too, that I think Heath Ledger gave one of just the most, most memorable high. performances. Yeah. Yeah. Can I, let me ask a hard Any question. Movie. Let me ask a hard question though. Like, if Heath Ledger wouldn't have committed suicide after, I mean, no, he's no still really for me, like, I don't I mean, there's that a, scene where he's hanging right. out of the van, no, and come on, through the scene, let me find like, incredible, that incredibly, like, a dog. like morbid incredible. laugh yeah. about himself. Yeah. But is it? But in the back of your mind, is no. it not like, is he really acting, no, or is there some part of him that's really that screwed? I still like it. Well, no, but this is like right afterwards. No, I, that's me, the part that was for me. Honestly, for me, I'm looking at going, okay, Heath Ledger in the Knight's Tale. That's the worst movie I've ever seen, right? That's terrible. Have you not seen and Titanic? <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm looking at, I'm looking at Heath right Ledger in The Knight's Tale versus Heath Ledger in... <laughs> oh, gosh. Versus Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight. I like The Knight's Tale, but go ahead. Oh. I kind of like, like The Knight's Tale. Did you like Ledger it? In the that, that right there makes my argument even more. He has basically been a really sucky actor... And then he gets I to the Dark Knight, and then it's like, oh my god, He nails it. It's great. He nails and then it's, brilliant. And then he's and, and, so crazy, and then he commits suicide. What? Okay, now let me on this. before he died. Uh, uh, comments from, comments from everyone terrible. on this. Hold on. Comments from everyone on this. Okay, so, you have Bane, but then I think the biggest mistake Nolan made was bringing back the Scarecrow. Because how many people were sitting there thinking, okay, where's the Joker? How do you not, if you're not cognizant of that, the fact that Heath Ledger committed suicide and you're in that universe? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's a yeah. fair point. He Where would be is back the there. Joker? Yeah, he that's should a be fair there. Point. And that that literally I haunted. Never of that. As soon as the as the Scarecrow makes an appearance, I'm thinking, where is the Joker? It's a fair because point. he has he has right, made you're not that. Assuming Joker's dead because Heath Ledger died. He but he did not. In the Dark Knight, he right. does not he die. should be there. Joke, the Joker the should be there. The Joker should be Fair there. Fair enough. Fair and so and, that and that's Nolan a kind of, huge hole in the plot. So is that mm. Chris Nolan kind of tipping his hat for the performance that Heath Ledger gave in The Dark Knight? By See, not I, bringing somebody else back? I don't think he has a or choice. Or he doesn't have a choice. Yeah, yeah. No, you I, you, you can't can bring somebody else back. Okay, no. Fair enough. He's, he's, I just don't think he has a choice. I went on the side of The Dark Knight. I ultimately, and for me, this is a difficult question. Wait, wait, time out. Can I interrupt you? So you yeah, guys say that Jack Nicholson can't come back and play the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. The only like good part the about the original Batman, by the way, but go ahead. Fair enough. Mr. Mom versus the Joker. Right, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Multiplicity. Exactly. Red, red, right. Red, red. <laughs> the, uh, for me, I, this is a hard question because they're two totally different kind of movies. Yeah. In a lot of ways, The Avengers is a typical kind of blockbuster. Uh, sure. Better dialogue, no doubt. Better dialogue. Exactly. Than ever. A- absolutely better exactly. dialogue. And, and I mean, if you're a fan of Firefly, you know Joss Whedon's got this covered, right? Yes. He's great at dialogue. Amazing, writing. yes. So, so uh, for me, this is Avengers is a typical blockbuster film. There was nothing profound about it. It was just a great movie. So I disagree right? that it was nothing... It, because of the dialogue. Yeah, I agree. Because most of the dialogue is horrible. And here's where the other reason why I think that the Avengers beats the Dark Knight Rises. I have always felt that 
the one weakness in Christopher Nolan films, even in the Batman films, is that the fight scenes are terrible. I mean, if you go back and watch The Dark Knight where Heath Ledger... No, that's fair. Remember when that Heath Ledger storms Bruce Wayne's, you know, party for Harvey Dent. That's yeah. awful. It's yep. a terrible... Is it not? No, the but fight question, scene are is they, terrible. Are they bad it is because terrible. the scenes are terrible or because compared to the rest of the movie, they're not as good? I think they're terrible. Okay. And here's why. You know, compare, say that... This is what I wrote my review. Compare to, say, a Bourne fight scene. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no uh, doubt, no yeah. doubt. Right? And so Nolan is a good enough director to realize this. Okay? I understand that what Nolan is doing is he's trying to make a realistic fight scene. Because in high school, I got into fights, and they were always <laughs> ugly. I love the guy, that, right? I love that the guy but, who directed movies for Latin MTV is bumpers for Nolan how to direct movies. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Roger Ebert is the number one critic, and he wrote. The I don't Valley disagree with you, by the way. I just play. have to but take anyway, this opportunity to make okay. a great joke on the podcast. All right, that's true. <laughs> now, Matt's going to make a very good I point. I directed a music so. video for, for Latin, Latin MTV, and they were terrible. Okay, I agree with that. That's the reason I left Hollywood. That being said, I think that no one thought that in all three movies that the fight scenes need to be realistic. And the thing I'm thinking is this. If you've got guys in costume fighting, they don't need to be realistic. They need to be awesome. And and you take the fight scenes between Iron Man Uh, 4 and Loki in Avengers, and you take the fight scene between even Bane and Bruce Wayne in the first time they fight, and it's not even close. Yeah. It's not even close. The fight scenes need to be... This is a Batman. So the fight scenes need to be epic. The one thing I agreed with, because Kurt Loder, who I love, trashed The Dark Knight Rises. And even though I disagreed with his... He needs a haircut, by the way. Well, I agree with that. But (laughs) even though I usually agree with him, and the reason I, you know, but the one thing I agreed with him on his review of The Dark Knight Rises is, he said that the fight scenes were boring, and he's right. That the fight scene between Bane and, 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 and Batman the first time is Amateurish. And let's throw in that the Hulk was CGI on top of that. So okay, you that's had that. True. But no, I think that's a that's hurdle. True. That's not a good thing. Yeah. I mean, you have an actor acting to no one, you know, as right. far as Loki. So, I mean, it's, you don't get the give and take. From but it was still awesome. Oh, even, yeah, the fight, even the fight between Iron Man, Loki, and Thor, sure. yeah. right, was better than any fights. Or in Captain America, Iron Man, and, and, and Thor. And, and in The yeah. Dark Knight Rises, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I guess we're picking apart two incredible movies. When, sure. And, oh, yeah. and I think we should. It's, it would only be fair to acknowledge when's the last time that Hollywood actually delivered on two summer blockbusters that we had such high expectations. Oh, absolutely, for. absolutely. F- a few, if ever. Absolutely. Yeah, I just, they need to finish. I think it's been in a great, movie. great year. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. I mean, I have seven or eight movies that I've seen this year that I thought were amazing, and usually I see two or three. For those that's of you out there, Matt is incredibly critical. Uh, <laughs> And uh, that's that's high praise. It's a passion. It's but a passion. I have been, I have been justifiably so. He's so fair, reasonable, and consistent. Yeah, I have been. But I I love the fact that I mean we have had Dark Knight Rises, we have had Avengers. I loved Prometheus. I loved. I think we have had a number of great movies this year. I give Hollywood credit for that. Which which one was that? <laughs> the Vow. The Vow. Oh Lord. We Here's had my the point. Dictator, which was funny. 
The dictator Dave, was, what was actually your point? very <laughs> funny. The dictator was funny. It was, what was your funny. Point, the dictator was funny. It was fantastic. I loved He'll it. Take Ted was funny. <laughs> yeah, okay. You're not willing to speak up, but I'm you're giving me the high sign. The Ted was I'm funny. getting the cue that this is the time to change the conversation. Finish your point. Finish your point. Here's my point. All right, right, they're two totally different movies. Avengers is largely, in my opinion, and clearly mm. you disagree there, but in my opinion, Avengers is a great blockbuster. Seven minutes later, clearly you disagree. <laughs> blockbuster film. It's a good summer blockbuster. But great. more than that, I don't, I don't find any... There's nothing profound about it. Where clearly Nolan, philosophically, has so much more depth. I mean, he's he's communicating okay, I some will give you profound that. Sure, things. I will give you that as a... But here's the problem with that. If you do not have... Because here's what Nolan did, okay... And you can go to Breitbart.com right. and look at the reviews of this. That what Nolan did was he basically challenged okay, both the right and the left in America. Okay? And I agree he did that in Dark Knight Rises, despite the plot holes and everything sure. else sure. And, and the poor fight scenes. Um, I, he did that. Whereas the Avengers... Regardless if you had any political opinion at all, you went in there and went, wow. Because he challenged Occupy Wall Street with the whole Bane thing, where he sure. basically compared sure. it to um, the so wait, French are you Revolution. Taking a stance against Rush Limbaugh here on his assumption that the Batman, uh, the Dark Knight Rises was a. Um, uh, some sort of like republic, you know, uh, anti-republican agenda. I didn't know that, but I don't like Rush Limbaugh, so I, okay. Well, I, it's will, all I, will, I, will it's I like I like Breitbart.com, okay. and so Breitbart took the position that what one of the things Christopher Nolan has done consistently yeah. is challenge both sides, including the Occupy Wall Street mm -hmm. crowd, because yeah. what happens when Bain takes right, over absolutely. and says? Go, you know these Cat these fat clear, cats. Like, these exactly these yep. fat cats have kept you down. It's a it's it goes back to the French Reign of Terror, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. And he's saying this is what happens when you label people, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Instead of individuals, you put them in a group. Yep. Yeah. And he's saying that's dangerous. Yeah. And Catwoman is a clear kind of. Um, character for that role, right? right? She clearly goes, well, I thought this is what I wanted, but clearly there's Right, some... at the end, yep. her roommate yep. says this is what you wanted, and she's like, this is not what I wanted. Yeah, 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 it's interesting. This is that. not justice, so this is not... philosophically, for me, Nolan is more compelling, more interesting. Now, I'll play my hipster card or whatever, yeah. but um, but it's more compelling to me. There's 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 something there that I can I can sink my teeth into. Whereas Avengers, I go, wow, this was a really good movie. It really was. It was a phenomenal movie. It was it well was. done. The yeah. dialogue was funny and witty and clever and, and better yeah. than half of, over half of the summer blockbusters that are routinely, yep. you know, dispensed. Or 99.9% .9 of the summer blockbusters that are yeah. dispensed. Yeah. the best two since independent. So, yes, so Dark Knight, just, it offers something more compelling. I might take a chance to plug one of my favorite websites too. Christ in Pop Culture. That brilliant article on um, the Dark Knight and Truth Has Its Day, in which um, a guy named Nick Olson offers the suggestion that Nolan is really offering a, a critique of some of the the truth issues that we saw in the last Dark Knight, where where there, where um, Jim Gordon kind of covers up what uh, you know uh, Harvey Dent right, has done, right, and yeah. right, right, some right. really compelling stuff. Truth has to have its 
it's outcoming. You can't just cover over it. And I agree with that. And in Christ and Pop Culture stuff. is a great website. I agree with that. Even People if they started it. <laughs> exactly. But here's, here's where I have a problem with The Dark Knight. Here's the one criticism I have. And this is Other the, the, this is the disagreement. <laughs> this is the disagreement I have with libertarians at large, mm. which is now. that they don't agree with the you. The argument of well, of course, <laughs> but but the argument is, but only a crazy person thinks that they're right, but they're wrong, right? Touche. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, is, is this um, the the Joker argues in the Dark Knight that people are essentially evil, mm-hmm. and they will choose their own best interest. And Bruce Wayne argues at the end that no, people are essentially good and they will choose the larger good. Mm-hmm. And what I have, I have actually argued on my blog is the Joker was right. Yeah, hey, I, I would agree. Absolutely. I mean, no, no denying that. Theologically, we look at it and go, absolutely, people are wicked, evil, and awful. Yeah. Yeah. If you had, if you, you had those at the very end of The Dark Knight, you had the two right... Um, 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 trains and or not trains, but um, you had the two boats, and yeah. they had the opportunity to blow each other up. I, I'm siding with with you know Daniel Tosh, who <laughs> did a parody of you know a movie a few years ago, where who is not our theological. Compass. No, he's not. But <laughs> um, there was a there was a movie a few years ago where. <laughs> Um, it was three or four years ago where people were given the opportunity. They were given a million dollars, but someone would die, and they pressed the button. And oh, Tosh, did the, Tosh did that. You remember the, yeah, the remember. parody where, you know, you'll get a million dollars, but someone... And even before he's, he completes the sentence, the person pushes the button. He's like, I don't <laughs> care. You know, a million dollars. Heck yeah. I mean, you know. And uh, I think that in real life, the Joker was right. People would press the button and blow the other shuttle up rather than die themselves. And I actually think that was right. Yes or no? I don't disagree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, because that's our sinfulness, right? Absolutely. Okay. That's where I disagree with Christopher Nolan. All right, so that is our podcast for this month. We'll be back with a podcast next month with our ramblings about theology, pop culture, and sports. Go Red Legs! Uh, exactly, which will try to include Dave Dunham, who has who has <laughs> a frightening knowledge of the NBA in the '90s, but nothing beyond. In fact, or God. God bless him. He really thinks the Seattle Supersonics exist. <laughs> You mean Sean Kemp's not playing anymore? Oh, gosh. <laughs> but that being said, we will be back next month to discuss more theology, pop culture, sports, and all that stuff. Thank you for tuning in. We appreciate it. God bless you. See you later. This is Matt. This is Ryan. Justin. And Dave. Good night. God bless and happy internetting. Peace out. Boop.